I'm Eugene Kim, one of the co-directors of the Center for Teaching Excellence. And I'm Marilyn Delore, the other co-director of the CTE. Hello, Marilyn. Hey, Eugene. Um, so I want to share with you the conversation that I had with Danny Dominguez from the School of Education. And it was on the heels of a presentation of sorts that I heard her give. It was part of the School of Education's um, kind of Zoom training workshop. You, you were part of that. How would you describe it? Yeah, I think they titled it their professional development series. But there was, I think it was four weeks in July that were devoted to four different topics. Um, and I think maybe it was the second one. Was it the first or second that was devoted to podcasting as a teaching tool? And we had already hatched the idea for CTE podcast, right? This platform we're using now is a way to have conversations with folks, with teachers about teaching. But then here was another level of Danny talking about how she uses podcasting with her students as a teaching tool. Right. So naturally, we listened um, uh, with great interest. And uh, you and I, I think, sort of separately kind of then raved to um, everybody that we knew about how wonderful that program was. And we, in fact, ended up using it as kind of a template for how we do the CTE teaching cafes now. But but in any event, uh, we followed up with Danny to um, have a conversation with her for our podcast to sort of flesh out some of the ideas that she shared in her presentation. So that's what this, um, this conversation with Danny is all about. Great. Let's have a listen. Why don't we start by you just telling us who you are and maybe what led you to get into podcasting? Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me and thank you for coming to uh, to my presentation. Um, so I am Daniela Dominguez, but I go by Danny, and I'm an assistant professor in the School of Education in the Counseling Psychology Department. But we have, if, if you don't know, a branch campus, what they now call a campus in Santa Rosa, and I'm the Marriage and Family Therapy Program Coordinator there. And so I mostly teach gender and sexuality counseling methods. So basically how to be a compassionate, you know, generous clinician and I'm loving the academic world and trying to get creative and trying to figure out ways to uh, connect more closely with my students. So that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. You started hearing podcasts first and they affected you in a way before you started using them as a teaching tool, right? Right. You know, I've always loved radio. Um, I can listen to radio for hours. And I think, honestly, that comes from my grandmother. Uh, she didn't necessarily have a television, so we listened to the radio for hours together. And so um, then I found out about podcasts. And it was everything that I loved about radio, but I was able to listen to the stories uh, whenever it was that I was available, whenever it was that um, I had some time to just kind of close my eyes and reflect. And so um, I am a podcast lover. And recently I've discovered that I actually love teaching using podcasting. And so I've been able to connect my love for listening to folks um, who um, are able to just tell, you know, passionate stories or engage in, in critical thought, critical thinking and incorporating a little bit of what I love about that into my own classes. Podcasts are just much more accessible. So first of all, you know, my phone is portable. Students' phones, um, if, they, if they have the ability to, to own a phone, 
Um, they can access podcasts 24-7. Um, they can, you know, rewind in order to be able to listen to the content that the professor has shared. Um, and they're able to take this content outdoors. And so right now, and, and I spoke about this a little bit in my presentation, that we are living through difficult times. You know, it's we're going through the racial pandemic and the viral pandemic all at once. And so um, with, with our brain trying to prioritize information and us experiencing all of these multiple threats, students are busy thinking about how they're going to find their new job, how it is that they're going to be able to get the aid they've always gotten, but now maybe they can't because they cannot concentrate. So I'm trying to think about ways to cross that bridge, um, you know, being delivering the content in a way where students will be able to absorb it, will be able to sit with it, but will be able to listen to me in a way where the information is delivered closely and intimately. And so I, I think that podcasts offer the possibility for you to get as close to the student as possible. So you have direct access to their ear. I guess the assumption is that the more forms of contact that we have, the better we're able to connect. And yet somehow that isn't always true. So can you give some examples of how you use it then? So if if that is a one of the benefits, what are some examples of the ways that you use podcasting as a teaching tool to really take advantage of that sort of phenomenon that you can get sort of closer to your students? This closeness that we're talking about comes also with being really transparent with the students and being accountable to the students. I've been thinking about, especially because my students are going to be clinicians, they're going to be counselors, mm -hmm. how we can model to them how to be public and how to be accountable in a way where we're still considering how to be moral and ethical and how to engage in legal ways. The way that I try to deliver my information is by really reflecting out loud about what's going through my mind in the present moment. So I try to anchor what I'm teaching in what's happening outside, you know, so what's going on today, what's happening in terms of current events, what are we seeing in the news? And how is that connected to the particular course that I'm teaching? So how is that connected, for instance, to my gender and sexuality classes or my counseling methods classes? In a way, by having the courage and the vulnerability to sit in front of a microphone or to take out my phone and press the record button and speak very honestly and candidly about what's going through my mind, I am modeling to my students how to do that with intention, right? Because we have to be intentional, but also courageously. I always follow up the podcast with dialogue. It is more about using the podcast as a tool for us to continue the conversation. To give you an example, in, in my gender and sexuality class, we talk about providing um, uh, sexual education to our, to our students. And so a way of in which I engage my students is to say, so now you've seen me, you've listened to my, my podcasts. Um, what I'd like for you to do is also to create your own podcast and to listen to yourself, deliver that information. And I want you to pay attention not only to the content, so not only what you're saying, but also to how it is that you're communicating it. Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what is your tone of voice? When do you pause? Um, where is the emotion behind the content? So we connect different assignments together. And I'm also very mindful that not everyone loves podcasts. And so I think it's really important for professors to be very flexible and to show versatility and to be able to show themselves um, 
with through video, through documentaries, uh, through audio. I also share with them some of my most recent publications so that they're able to see who you are in different ways. Right, right. I see the benefit to you as the instructor. Mm-hmm. You're sort of like showing this transparency. You're modeling certain types of conduct. But there's also sort of like a, a self-care kind of aspect to this that you touched on too, and I'd love for you to share. More than likely, they might have access to one cell phone at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone in the family might have a cell phone. A lot of my students are BIPOC, Black, Black Indigenous people of color. You know, I, I have to be mindful also of how it is that I have been conditioned as a professor to teach and how how it is that my students have been conditioned to learn. And I think that what I'm trying to do is really think critically about the way that pedagogy has been done, the way that we have been asked to engage in teaching, is that the most um, appropriate way for me to connect with students that have been maybe historically marginalized, students that maybe have been forgotten, or um, students who have different stories. Like I said, I I kind of connect to that just because I was in graduate school, I was always like moving around and had a really difficult time sitting in my desk. And I think that, you know, from connecting with my students more personally, a lot of them have kiddos at home. Many of them are busy with their full-time jobs. They have chores to take care of. And so the benefits are one, I'm not asking them to purchase, you know, a $150 textbook. I'm not asking them to sit on a chair and to tune out all of the stimuli, you know, around them. I'm just saying whenever you have the ability to, please go ahead and take out your phone and visit my library of podcasts and just tune in. And you can pause at any time. You can access, you know, the the audio recording at any time and then reflect on that. Didn't you have a suggestion where... You said, before you listen to this podcast, I want you to couple this with some form of self-care. Obviously, if the reason why the podcast is beneficial to you in that moment is because you have to hold a kid with one hand and cook dinner with the other, then you can't lie down. But even if you had the time and the ability to read a book, there was something I felt like it was, it was really powerful about saying, stop. A lot of us are experiencing Zoom fatigue and our students are you know, taking a lot of that burden. So when I record my podcasts, most of the time I'm actually taking a walk and my students can actually hear there are pebbles and they can listen to the pebbles. And I'm kind of also describing what I'm seeing around me. Yeah. And I want them to also picture that and to allow themselves to go into a different space. So a lot of our students are right now sheltering in place um, and are overwhelmed you know, again, by stimuli, by threats. So by closing their eyes and by listening to me walking and listening to the pebbles and me saying, you know, I'm feeling with you. I know that this is tough. I know that there's a lot going on. I know that there's uncertainty. Let's breathe together. Let's feel together. I've heard really positive feedback. And again, you know, going back to this idea of who are we as professors? I certainly had a lot of really good mentors when I was going through graduate school, but I also feel like most of my professors were pretty removed. And so um, I'm trying just really hard to figure out a way, you know, right now when we're being asked to socially distance from our students, how it is that I can let them know that I'm walking through this journey with one of them is again, podcast, but you know, I, I know that this is not necessarily like a, a part of the conversation right now, but 
I've, I have two different social media accounts. One of them is for family and friends, and then my other social media account I use Instagram is for for students and mentees. And it's a way for me if you know I see something that really resonates with me that really speaks to me. Yesterday there was a little clip from Angela Davis. The day before that there was a little clip from James Baldwin that really moved me and inspired me to wake up in the morning and put you know one foot in front of the other and and speak up and show up. I really want to share this with my students. And sometimes it's those aha moments that I that I get where I might not have a notepad and a pencil nearby or I might not have my computer, but I might have my phone and I'm like, all right, time to record a podcast or time to post this on social media. Most of us, I think, think about podcasts as being a way to deliver information. I mean, we might frame it as a conversation or reflections, but really at the end of the day, we want the student to sort of be like, I learned something from this podcast. But you had something that you were doing where there was um, a course assignment or an exercise, and you were using your podcast almost to like wrap it with your reflections. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk about that. The pushback sometimes that I get from people when they listen to this kind of what I consider to be a new way of, of teaching is, well, are, are they truly absorbing the information? Will they remember all of this content? Because at the end of the day, they have a licensing exam to take. Right. Like, they have to learn it. Yeah. They have to learn it. And, and so I, I say, you know, the readings are there. The documentaries are there. The content is there. This is just supplemental. And so for my students, I don't, I don't just want them to go into passive memorization or for them to just be able to repeat you know, what I just said during one of my pre-recorded lectures, I really want them to think about what it is that I'm saying and whether their values align with what I'm saying, whether it fits with the intersectionality of their sociocultural identities and their background. And also, it's an opportunity for me to quiz them and test them. And I say, well, let's just pretend that a client walks through the door and gives you this story. What would you do? A, you might go about working with this client in this way, B, and then I ask them to kind of sit and think, I pause, and then I provide them with what the answers are. And so they're able to then reflect on how much they were able to capture from Mm. my lectures. So the cool thing about podcast is that there's not one way of, of recording a podcast. If you listen to my podcasts, they definitely don't sound like NPR. They're homemade. You know, it's just me maybe putting a little bit of music in the beginning, just flowing, biting, you know, and then publishing. That's about it. And you can talk about your own story. You could talk about your background. Um, you could even turn your podcast into an opportunity to mentor. I've one of the most recent podcasts that I did, I spoke to students at the master's level. Um, about pursuing a doctoral degree. So sometimes it, it's related to, to your course. Sometimes it's about things that you think are important for the students to know at a time like this. I think that's really wonderful. I think that's such a key insight that podcasting doesn't have to fit one particular mold. Any more than saying that writing always has to look like a journal article in order to be worthwhile. There's so many different kinds of writing. And so there can be so many different kinds of uh, recorded oral messages and podcasts as well. I think that's really fantastic. And, and I really love 
what you were saying about quizzing and giving space to reflect and commenting and guiding students through other materials too. The podcast is not intended to just replace those things. So if if faculty are interested in exploring these different ways in which podcasts can be used and can touch on different parts of the educational experience for, you know, conscientización for or for content, you know, for guiding, what kind of advice would you give them? So as you start working on these new creative ways of engaging in and teaching, um, just allow yourself to kind of enter this process, this journey with a lot of self-compassion. So the first podcast that you might record might be a little off, maybe even we could say a little awkward. I know I certainly was a little awkward in the beginning, but it's going to get much easier. Another thing is, you know, definitely lean into this because it's fun. You know, once you start doing it and once you start knowing how to press the record button and how to maybe add a little bit of music in the beginning, if that's what you choose to do, it gets easier. And again, it's, it's like an opportunity for you to also break away from like the normal routine of showing up in class, you know, finding your slides, putting them in the projector and then, you know, clicking and clicking away. This is just a, a break from, for us to try something new. And so I've really enjoyed it. Um, and then I would also say one thing that I really want to add is it's also a way for us to center different voices. So one of the things that I, I find uh, sometimes a little complicated in teaching in person at Santa Rosa is that I know so many brilliant colleagues in San Francisco that I would love to invite over to my classes for my students to listen to. I would love for my students to learn a little bit more about who you are, what you're doing. And then um, it's easy. It's easy because you just, you know, schedule something and you put it on the agenda and then you're ready to go. And then your students are able to listen to some really powerful stories. Especially yeah. right now where, um, you know, there are a lot of issues that are happening around us that I cannot necessarily, you know, like, I don't have the, I, I'm not, for instance, I'm not a black woman. I, I, I'm not a member of the black community with everything that's happening around us. Um, I, I feel very um, uncomfortable sometimes, you know, kind of like appropriating trauma as my own. And so, right. To be able to call a, a, a colleague that is black identified and say, you know, I, I, I understand that you're probably getting a lot of these calls, but, you know, I think it might be helpful for if, if you're okay with this for, for my students to kind of hear a little bit more about your story, how you're navigating this. Um, and I, I mean, my, my black identified students in particular. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I've been able to do that and it has worked really well. So guest speakers um, through podcasting has been super, super easy to, to schedule. Yeah, right. Just You just have a conversation. But I imagine a lot of times you're planning, I'm going to record something uh, to use for some purpose. So what's your process for those more planned podcasts? Do you have a process that you can share? Um, or Or is it really not something that you can create a template for that it's just everything is sort of like how the spirit moves you at that moment so if i do have a, a guest coming to speak i definitely do want to have a little bit of a template at least some questions that i might want to ask if it's a process of reflection i usually just kind of allow myself to go places and and sometimes if it is a little bit lengthy i might edit it i might shorten it but most of the time i just kind of allow myself to 
to move and, and to vibe and to flow. Um, so my process is if, if I am, you know, here at home, um, all that I need is just, again, my computer, I turn zoom on, I press the record button, and then I just download the audio. You know, for me, as an introvert, public speaking has never been something that I've, that I've particularly enjoyed. You know, and I, I think that a lot of us that go into academia might identify as introverts. We need a lot of time to recharge. We need a lot of time to restore. And for me to be able to stay in the comfort of my home where, you know, I feel very comfortable, I feel very, um, I feel safe. And to be able to just reflect, um, it's something that is, is very different from a lot of more of the external facing types of activities that I do. So the process is just to make myself a cup of coffee, to have my water ready, and to remember that it's not necessarily as much about me and about, um, certainly that's a part of it. Um, I do want to enter that process of conscientization that we were talking about, but more importantly is to be able to uh, connect, to, to really tap into this relational aspect of teaching that I think sometimes, you know, we, we forget or we miss when we're in, in the classroom. We've now mentioned conscientización a couple of times, and I know that that's not sort of a, a concept that I was very familiar with or that I had heard kind of uh, explicated before your presentation. So let me re- do a little rewind here. T- tell me what we're talking about uh, for listeners who are sort of like, w- w- I thought this was about podcasting. You're getting all deep on me here. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I, I usually say conscientización because my first language is Spanish. Um, so I say conscientización, but really it's, it's a Portuguese word, um, conscientizado. But for some reason, I'm just like, I, 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 I'm always about connecting emotionally with, with language. And so uh, anytime that I'm trying to enter a space of critical consciousness, I try to use you know, words that have meaning for me. Um, so again, Paulo Freire, this amazing uh, Brazilian educator, really asked us to, um, to think about um, how it is that we move through spaces and connect with students. And so um, he asked us to think about the students that are sitting on the margins of society, students that uh, because of you know, the particular inequities that they've experienced or the structural barriers around them are not necessarily able to, to connect with, with the instructor. And so he asks us to exist in dissent. He asks us to basically uh, challenge the status quo of, of teaching. And so for me, uh, there are certainly many things about, you know, white academia that uh, make sense to me. And then there are some things about the white ivory tower that uh, either don't resonate with me or or they just don't fit with my style of teaching. And so um, he asks us to, to think about who we are. So there's also a part of you cannot necessarily walk into the classroom without examining who it is that that you are as a person, what your sociocultural identities are, your background. And once you understand that, then you can more deeply connect with your students while simultaneously also taking into consideration the sociocultural identities of your students. And so um, he asks us to center the voices and the experiences 
of those that have not been heard, valued, or understood historically within um, academic spaces. Yeah, yeah, that that's wonderful. I mean, I think that, uh, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why your presentation um, really resonated with me was, you know, you you spent the first few minutes, as I recall, maybe more maybe more than just a few minutes of your presentation talking about the 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 sort of circumstances that we were in and um you know the the racial uprisings and the pandemic and the social inequities and I was like am I listening to the right presentation here I mean this is good stuff but am I listening to the right one and then you sort of like wove it in and you helped me understand that you know podcasting um is not the only, but is one medium, one technique for communication that is that sort of enables us to answer that call for mm-hmm. conscientización, I think, in a way that some of the more traditional uh, ways of instructing our students um, maybe don't. Um, shouldn't we, if we sort of buy into uh, the importance of us meeting our students in, 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 a, in a place that's different from where our ivory tower sort of is and is established, don't we have a responsibility to sort of try different ways uh, of, of communicating and, and meeting and creating this community? So I just think that's, hmm, you know, it's just wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Eugene. I, I think, you know, yes, podcast, that's just kind of like the product of of something else we're trying to do. What we're really trying to do is I think we're just trying to engage in love and justice, right? So mm-hmm. We think about the Jesuit mission of our university and we're like, okay, so how I've been asked by the School of Education, how it is that, you know, knowledge is is created, how it is that knowledge is produced. And if I really want to uh, engage in reflection, I have to think about how it is that I'm producing knowledge in my classroom. You know, I carry a lot of power when when I walk into the classroom, even though, you know, I have several marginalized identities. Certainly the fact that I I am someone with with a doctoral degree that that, you know, gives me privilege. So when I walk into the classroom, as soon as I start disseminating what what I think I know, uh, that's going to land differently based on who my students are. And so. It's, it's the check in after, right? Like, how was it for you to listen to me talk about the racial pandemic? How was it for you to listen to me as you know, a Latinx immigrant talk about how it is that, you know, in some ways I have been complicit in, in, in some of the anti-Blackness and not understanding the history, for instance, of Black communities in Latin America. I create my podcast um, using my voice, but also I'm taking a backseat approach during reflection to listen to my students and learn from my students as well. So it's very dialogical. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Okay, tell me if I'm wrong. But what I heard you say, what I thought you were saying was, if I can communicate with them and I sort of put my piece out there through the podcast, they feel empowered to be able to come back and respond and then create some additional knowledge and content themselves. Whereas if the way that I had done my part was to give them a, a, a peer-reviewed, you know, journal article with like three thousand footnotes, even if they don't quite buy it and they have some response, they're gonna be like, "Well, but you started communicating with me in this way, so the only way I can respond is that same way." Uh, that's something for academics to do. I don't feel empowered to respond, but if you're talking. 
they know how to talk back. Absolutely. Is that right? Okay. That's, exactly that, that's wonderful. Right. And we but often then, do that synchronously. So right. when they come back, that's when we discuss it. We can discuss it via Zoom. We can discuss it, you know, in, in, in little breakout rooms. Um, so yes, you, you got it right. Do you ever have them respond asynchronously? So do you invite your students to respond to your podcasts with podcasts um, to perhaps take advantage of some of the same benefits that you were saying that faculty can take advantage and that you can take advantage of communicating in that way, like for those of us who are introverts, for example? Yeah, for sure. I definitely do that. That is a part of one of the assignments um, for my gender and sexuality class. And what's also really convenient for me as a professor is that I can also listen to whatever information it is that they're willing to share with me while I'm driving. So, you know, of course, sometimes when you're reading, you have to sit down, you have to grade, you have to take out your, you know, your, your, your pen and start grading. With podcasts, you could just take a walk and listen to your students. So it is also really convenient. And, and that is, you know, you've modeled it when you created and produced your podcast, but now you're basically, you know, telling your students, okay, now, now it's your turn to try that. I want you to walk in here and you're going to feel uncomfortable and you're going to lean into discomfort and then you're going to just tell me how it was, how it, how you felt listening to me. So it is an opportunity for you to, to connect with students and also learn about their story. You know, in my, in my practice, I use solution focused therapy and one of the. Tell me very briefly about solution focused therapy. Yeah. So there are three premises. So one is, you know, if, if something's not working, do something different. If something's working, do more of it. And if something's definitely not broken, there is no reason to try to fix it, right? Another premise is um, that there are no resistant clients, only inflexible cl clinical approaches. Ah, okay. And so so let, let me repeat that because I think that that part is something that I've also used for my teaching, which is, mm -hmm. I'm not sure when, whenever you're in class, Eugene, but there are some students maybe that are taking notes and they're like really, you know, connecting with you and they're nodding and they're listening to you. And sometimes you have some students that are like checking prime or they're like, you know, looking at their social media. Of course. And so you know that, that you're speaking to maybe a slice of the classroom. And so sometimes I'm like, you know, I got to do something different because rather than thinking, you know, that that student doesn't want to learn because I could, that could feel a little helpless and think about, is there a way that I can connect with that particular student that's, you know, purchasing accessories on prime. And so that, that comes from solution focused therapy of there aren't inflexible students only, you know, professors sometimes that are a little resistant to trying new things out. And as far as also, again, like going back to the academic environment, my hope would be that at some point uh, these reflections would be valued as scholarship, you know, because there's this particular way in which um, our contributions to our students are are weighed and evaluated. And, you know, our, our students are saying that they very much appreciate and that they're grateful that professors are finding creative, innovative ways of delivering content. And so maybe we should also reconsider the ways in which we assess, you know, tenure and promotion and, you know, think about uh, what matters in academia. Yeah, yeah. And to that end, um, I mean, I think it takes people who are willing to do it because they see the inherent value in it. 
Um, so b- besides um, gender and sexuality and human sexuality, any other classes that you would want to sort of give credit to as having kind of opened your mind to this type of thinking? For me, it's um, not so much also um, the particular courses, but more of what I also do outside of those courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so in the community, I I have a grant um, with the Hannah Institute in Sonoma Valley, and I work with the Latinx community. Um, and we've basically been doing needs assessments and acid-based type of uh, using acid-based research approaches to understand the strengths and resiliencies within the community. And what we um, you know, know is that Sonoma Valley being a health professional shortage area and the Latinx community being so large, um, sometimes it is difficult for Latinx community members to be seen, to receive services. And so with uh, the shortage of bilingual bicultural physicians and providers and case managers, sometimes there's, you know, services are underutilized uh, because of structural barriers. And one of the issues that we had was um, we do have, because it is wine country, um, a large, um, you know, sample of the population that attends uh, AA meetings uh, to try to stay away from drinking. And so when the pandemic hit, people started being really concerned about whether they would be able to access their meetings. And so what we ended up doing is knowing that there was no like backup plan in place. There were backup plans for English meetings, um, but not for Spanish. I ended up contacting colleagues from from Mexico and I said hey we have this you know concern people are uh, in need of their daily meetings and we would love uh, to figure out ways for them to to have access to support and and information guidance and fellowship so we were able to engage in conversation with a couple of AA members and sponsors in Mexico was able to record a podcast and we were able to distribute it which is again, you know, a testament to how podcasts can be accessible because most of the community members have a phone and they were able to share the link. To me, it really highlights how our desire to interact and engage with our students fundamentally shouldn't be thought of any differently than when we are trying to engage with members of the community. Likewise here, if our goal is not to just be impressive and not just do the forms of communication that we're used to, but to actually engage with our constituents, our students, well, then we should try to find different ways of, of communicating with them in ways that might be able to address those uh, communication gaps. Um, so that, that's, that's a great story. I love that. It kind of gets me thinking that the word podcast, um, it might be interesting to think about like what we mean by that. Because you're sort of using the word podcast to include any sort of recorded oral, vocal, I don't know, um, communication. Any, any time that you record audio and, and you're interacting with your listener, that, that's a podcast. Okay. Which also yeah. makes me think about, you know, how in, 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 in our society, there, there are particular people that are given a platform in academia to, to share knowledge. And I feel like podcasts, you know, in some ways create a, a more democratic environment in which anyone, regardless of the letters that you might have after your name or might not have after your name, can can distribute that knowledge. Danny, thank you so much for your time. I've really, really appreciated talking with you. I um, 
I'm so grateful for you sharing your insights and your experiences with podcasting. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite. Thanks for sharing that conversation with us, Eugene. Um, I'm struck by a few things that Danny said, in particular, how she talked about how it takes courage and vulnerability on the part of faculty to hit record and to put our voices out there. And I've definitely gone through that curve and remote instruction, right? At first with Zoom, I like hated seeing my own face and I cringed at the thought that students might record anything or something might be floating out there for posterity. But it really resonated with me how Danny talked about using voice recordings, right? Whether you dress it up with sound, with editing and music, or it's just a reflection, how that's a, a different mode and a really powerful tool for connection with her students um, and that she would record and podcast to them. Um, and, and they would also record, make recordings back to share with her and with each other. In my own class um, this fall, inspired in part by Danny's summer presentation, I gave my students a range of options. I had them re review a book on the topic of our course and then write an essay, but then I also asked them to do a multimedia presentation of some kind. A number made a number of them made Spark pages or web pages or Prezi's, but a few of them recorded podcasts. And I have to say that they were among my my favorite submissions. It was it was so lovely to hear them speak uninterrupted, not in a classroom discussion, speak at length about the books that they had read. And it's definitely something that I will um, repeat in the future. Yeah, there's a, a certain intimacy that Danny kept alluding to about the podcast medium, that it's kind of hard to put my finger on why, but I totally get it. I mean, it's sort of like how a smell can bring back a memory like in full vibrant color, even though they're two different senses. There's just something about that mode of communication where it's just the audio and not with the video that kind of captures it. I'll have to think about why that is, but I definitely know the sentiment. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, I've been experiencing, as have my students, you know, eye twitches and brain fatigue and, you know, from looking at screens so much, right? I almost miss grading essays on actual paper with my green grading pen, you know, everything's on the screen, everything. Right. And so that was part of the motivation for CTE podcast is like, hey, maybe we could, you know, have some, get some information out that you can listen to outdoors while you're doing other other activities, and we can get ourselves away from looking at screens so much. And podcasts are a lovely tool for that. Yeah. Danny talked also about how when she was a student, you know, many of her professors seemed rather removed, um, you know, that sort of distance thing. And she reflected quite powerfully on the fact that now that this pandemic is is requiring us to socially distance, right, from one another, she would often record while she was walking, imagining that students could listen as they were walking. But then she expanded that to this notion of, I want them to know and feel that I'm walking with them, beside them, through this very intense year that we're all experiencing. And I found that to be quite powerful. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what we want, is somebody who's journeying with us, not talking at us? Um, I mean, I... I want my students to be journeying with me. Um, I guess I imagine that the learning experience will be 
that much more visceral if um, they feel like we are kind of journeying with them too. And this is, again, one of those things that a podcast allows you to do. I mean, who'd have thunk, right? That, that by talking with our students in audio format only, that we'd be able to tap into that almost spiritual aspect of learning. Um, not to make it like too woo-woo, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't know. They're, they're, no. For the, that and for so many other reasons that are kind of in the same vein, um, really felt like this was something worth sharing um, with our faculty as just another thing to consider as we try to find ways to connect with our students. Agreed, 100%. This episode was produced by the Tracy Seeley Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of San Francisco. The CTE is co-directed by Marilyn Delore and Eugene Kim. Our program assistant is Nisha Jaster. Till next time, I'm Eugene Kim. And I'm Marilyn Delore. Take care. <laughs>